we're continuing, we're going back into our uh, Philippian series, the Philippians Unchained, the Joy Project, and, and uh, we left off two weeks ago. Let's, uh, let's go to the book of Philippians, and uh, in your outline, um, you have most of the verses, but I'm going to back up to uh, verse 14, because once again, it puts it in, in context from where, for where we're going today. Philippians 1, we've got Bibles on the back table as well. If you don't have a Bible, you can pull it up on your smartphone. I'm reading from the New Living Translation, so... And because of my imprisonment, Paul writes, most of the believers here have gained confidence and boldly speak God's message without fear. It's true that some are preaching out of jealousy and rivalry, but others preach about Christ with pure motives. They preach because they love me, for they know I have been appointed to defend the good news. Those others do not have pure motives as they preach about Christ. They preach with selfish ambition, not sincerely intending to make my chains more painful to me. But that doesn't matter whether their motives are false or genuine. The message about Christ is being preached either way. So I rejoice and I will continue to rejoice. For I know that as you pray for me and the spirit of Jesus Christ helps me, this will lead to my deliverance. For I fully expect and hope that I will never be ashamed that, but that I will continue to be bold for Christ as I have been in the past. And I trust that my life will bring honor to Christ, whether I live or die. For to me, living means living for Christ, and dying is even better. Andy Stanley uh, tells a story uh, about a man that he hung with for about 20 years. They... um, they challenge each other spiritually, and he talks about this man who uh, lived his life in a way where he prayed for God to say yes to him, but God didn't answer yes. Instead, God poured his grace into him to withstand the testing, the trials that he, he went through. And in the scheme of things in life, that's really where we all land, isn't it? We We seem to appreciate people that maybe they don't get a yes from God, but God gives them the grace to walk through the trial, the testing, and they come out stronger on the other end. Man, their faith, man, you, you just kind of stand back and say, man, could I, could I respond the way they're responding? And this is the kind of relationship Andy had. Uh, They leave us with confidence that there's a category of faith, there's a category of confidence in God that can endure just about anything. Man, we need that today, don't we? That's why it's cool and imperative that we connect with the body of Christ. We we need each other. And um, Andy said, I had a friend like that. His name was Reggie Campbell. He had been diagnosed with a rare lung cancer that caused him to slowly have decreased lung capacity. And the doctors told him that there was no cure. And eventually they said, you're going to lose your ability to breathe and something else you need to know. There's nothing we can do for you. So the church prayed. They prayed, of course, for Reggie's healing. Reggie Campbell 
passed away last January 2020. And he said, I've known, I've known Reggie for over 20 years. I've never seen an individual face and embrace his own mortality with more confidence, more courage, and more faith than Reggie did. He said, Reggie and I would get together pretty consistently. And uh, this particular morning stands out where uh, Reggie pulled up uh, in, with his oxygen mask tank and he sat down and and he looked rough, and Andy leaned across the table and says, man, Reggie, you, you, you're looking rough, man. What's, what's going on? And um, Reggie responded in a way that surprised Andy. He said uh, something profound. He said, Andy, I'm fine. I'm fine. My life has always been in God's hands. Nothing has changed. My life was in God's hands when things were great. My life has been in God's hands when things... We're not great. My life has always been in God's hands. <laughs> Andy, I'm fine. Nothing's changed. It's a good place to be. Two days before Reggie passed away, Andy went to visit him in his home. He went to Reggie's home office where Reggie was sitting at a chair with his oxygen tank, and Andy noticed there was a white marker board and across the top of the board were these words that said, my commitment. And Andy thought initially, that was Reggie's uh, life mission, you know, something he had put together for goals for his life over, over the years. And he, he put it back up again to reflect on, you know, hey, I'm getting near my death. Uh, did I accomplish what I, I needed to do? But instead, it wasn't life goals. These six things related to Reggie finishing strong goals. In other words, he knew his time was very short. It wasn't about the past. It was about these next few days, weeks maybe, that he had left to live. And Reggie was committed to finishing strong. And so these were the six commitments Reggie wrote. One, I will walk with Jesus every day. In other words, you know, Andy read that and he thought, wait a minute, Reggie, wait. The, the Jesus that didn't answer your prayer, the Jesus that's allowed you to go through so many trials, the, the Jesus that hasn't healed you, I will walk with Jesus every day? Wow, man, wow. Number two, I will be grateful and live every day to the fullest. In other words, as I leave this life, I want to make sure I'm leaving in up. I'm leaning in up until the very end. I will be grateful and live every day to the fullest. Number three, I will bless my family with words, with pictures and videos. Something for them to remember me. Number four, I will invest in my guys, the small group that Reggie had mentored over the years. Um, he'd been developing them, and he was going to continue doing that until his last breath. I will invest in my guys for their good and God's glory, not mine. It's pretty cool. Number five, I will not give up and run out the clock. In other words, I will let perseverance finish its work to my last breath. 
And finally, number six, I will let people love on me. Because we know as human beings, sometimes it's challenging to humble ourselves to allow people to love us, right? Yeah. So anyway, that's where Reggie landed. And Andy says Reggie's faith did not reverse the consequences of life in a fallen world. And he was wide open to that. We all prayed for a miracle. But Reggie's faith did not reverse the consequences of life in a fallen world, and he did not expect it to because he understood what faith is. Faith is not how we get God to do something God doesn't want to do. Faith is a response to the faithfulness of our Heavenly Father. Reggie's faith actually produced perseverance and courage in the midst of a fallen world. And here's what we know with confidence persevering faith. It leaves its mark on the world. It leaves its mark on people around us. And we don't choose the trials. The trials choose us. We've talked about that. We live in a broken world, man. Adam and Eve sinned and ushered in pain, suffering, disease, all kinds of dark things on this planet that attack human beings and what humans do to other humans. We don't choose the trials. We simply choose our response to these trials and allow God to purify and strengthen our faith in the midst of what we would never choose. Reggie Campbell's story relates well to where the Apostle Paul, I was thinking about the third song we camped out on this morning. I can imagine Paul singing that chain to a praetorium guard, can't you? I cling to you, God. I'm not chained to this praetorium soldier, you know, I'm I'm regretting it, I'm despising it. No, Lord, I am clinging to you in the midst of being chained to this guard. (laughs) It's a great place to be, to cling. I like that word cling. You see it throughout the Bible. You see it in the book of Psalms many times. Clinging, that's what we need to do in 2021. We need to cling to the Lord Jesus Christ. And so that brings us to joy, joy in the friendly fire. You know, Paul had his critics. We, we mentioned that a few weeks ago. They were followers of Christ indeed. Paul encouraged them over the years and, and they in turn turned on him. No matter um, how you look at this text, you realize there's two groups that Paul's talking about. There's one group that loves Paul. They preach Christ. They consider themselves being on the same team with Paul. And then there's another group who is, they're, they're full of jealousy and they're an envy and they're ticked off, so to speak, in their heart on how Paul has weathered this storm that he has been attached to. And so they took advantage of Paul being in prison. And people do things with poor motives, don't they? Have you noticed that in life? Yes, indeed. Uh huh. We see that there's not a doctrinal problem with these people that are preaching out of jealousy and rivalry. No. It's a personal problem with Paul. And uh, how do, how's Paul going to respond to that? That's the, 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 the message is the same, but their motive is different, you know, in these two different groups. 
So when we see it's true, verse 15, that some are preaching out of jealousy and rivalry, um, you've seen that green-eyed monster, haven't you? And some of us carry that green-eyed monster inside of us. We live with that monster. We feed that monster, you know? Anytime jealousy raises its head inside of us and we lean into being jealous and envious, uh, we're feeding it. We're giving it spaghetti and meatballs. And let me tell you something. That's not a way we, as a follower of Christ, we should be living our lives. We should give a mandate to that green-eyed monster and say, dude, it's time to get out of my life. By the power, that resurrection power of Jesus Christ that's resident in me, you need to go in Jesus' name. And then you ask for the grace of God because that'll come up through life. Listen, this is not a one and done deal. You're going to have stuff hitting the fan in your life where you will feel jealousy. You'll have to deal with it. And we know life isn't fair. You know, the, the guy across the aisle got the promotion and you didn't. <laughs> Everything seems to be going their way and I'm, my life seems to be falling apart. That's not fair. And so that green-eyed monster, you know, he loves to thrive. And so we have a choice to make. Paul had a choice to make. How was he going to deal with that? And Paul is writing, you know, not feeling sorry for himself, but he's giving you and I a heads up, ladies and gentlemen, that in this world, people may mistreat us, they may pick on us, they, they may they gossip about us, Paul is saying, hey, it happened to me. It's going to happen to you, but look at my example. Look what I did. I kicked the green-eyed monster out of my life. And let me tell you something. Joy comes in when the green-eyed monster goes. Joy comes in. We give room for joy to move in when the green-eyed monster gets kicked out. Joy. Oh, baby, joy. We need joy. I was listening to King and Country on the way in this morning. That joy song. I was sitting in the parking lot, man, listening to it. Thinking, man, we should, we should play that today. <laughs> I've got joy. That's, that's a far cry from it, but... They do sing that. And, and I thought, right on, man. Go king and country. <laughs> so number one, you notice the relocation of the numbers in your notes, by the way, from a couple weeks ago. We got to keep it fresh. Number one, it doesn't matter, so keep your joy. Verse 18, that, but that doesn't matter. What doesn't matter? What does it matter? What's Paul writing about? Well, we, have, we just read that starting in verse 14 through 17, talking about the two groups. One group is pro-Paul and the other group is anti-Paul. And he's saying they're preaching out of jealousy and rivalry. That's what Paul's saying. It doesn't matter. Okay, Paul, what doesn't matter? Well, he'll give you the answer. Whether their motives are false or genuine, the message about Christ is being preached either way. So I rejoice. And I will continue to rejoice. 
So remember two weeks ago, we talked about starting a It Doesn't Matter Club? Huh? Remember that? So we got one going. <laughs> Woo! Yeah, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. And I thought about this, man. It doesn't matter. The problem in our culture today is so many people are living their lives with this. It doesn't matter. They're in the wrong club. They're apathetic. They're bitter. Why should I care about life? Because I've been burned so many times. It doesn't matter. That's not what Paul's talking about. Paul's taking the high road. He's saying all this stuff is hitting the fan in my life. It doesn't matter because I'm going to keep rejoicing in the Lord. All the way to the finish line, man. It doesn't matter. And let me tell you a little secret for the, for the health and the spiritual vitality of Life Church going forward, going forward. This is what we should be saying. It doesn't matter if people are trying to slow me down. It doesn't matter if people are trying to trip me up in life. It doesn't matter. I'm going to press on to the finish line. I'm going all the way. So I'm not going to distract you. I'm going to zip. It doesn't matter. We have some folks walking around today with the, you know, with the It Doesn't Matter Club shirt on. So uh, feel free. You can pick up a copy shirt at your local store somewhere. <laughs> if you notice Paul in, his, in verse 18, he's saying, man, listen, I... I do not enjoy having pity parties. I do not enjoy feeling sorry for myself. He, he's just going against the headwind. You, this, this image, and, and let me encourage you, um, you know, the, the, that guy. We have these, and if you haven't picked up a copy, I want to encourage you. We have some on the back table in the foyer, always forward. Always forward. I love this image because uh, when Paul talks about spreading the good news, he was experiencing resistance, going against the wind, going against the, the storms of life. But Paul, always, always forward. That kind of goes along with it doesn't matter. You notice that? It doesn't matter. I'm always going forward, man. I'm not going to slow down. I'm not going to take a break. I'm going to always go forward. So there's always an obstacle involved. We notice this even in our own individual lives, isn't it? When we, we say, Lord, I'm going to follow you like in 2021. Some of you have already experienced pushback, haven't you, to that commitment? You know, the commitment, I'm going to read my Bible consistently. You've experienced pushback. You know, your schedule gets out of hand or or whatever the case may be, and the Bible ends up sitting on the shelf through the week, and you think, how did that happen? Well, there's always pushback. When we make a commitment, Lord, I'm letting this addiction go. You know, it's not going to control me anymore. Uh, you're always going to experience pushback because we know life is not easy. 
But I'll tell you this, I'll tell you this. In the foyer, you see the mission statement of Life Church. You love God and you love people and you love life. There, there's no PSs on the bottom, you know. Don't, don't love life if this happens to you. No, no. That's part of the commitment of always going forward. I'm going to love God no matter what. Because I'm going to love God, God's going to pour his love into me to help me love people. And when I'm loving people, woo, people that are challenging and people that are ooh, pushing you back in your life and maybe people that are taking advantage of you, you will love life because you've got joy in your core. You don't become bitter, man. You don't get in the swamp of jealousy and anger and wait till I get even with you. That, that'll destroy you. And Paul knew that because he, he, um, he tracked that so often. So we need, uh, we need to pick up that it doesn't matter mindset so we don't lose our joy. Paul, <laughs> these guys, you know, <clears throat> they wanted to make Paul's chains even more painful. And, and, and so Paul, you know, he, he's thinking, these guys are trying to slow me down, discourage me, you know, uh, ask why questions to God. Uh, right in my journal, life isn't fair. No, you know what Paul does instead? He writes, he writes Philippians, Ephesians, Colossians, and Philemon. During those two years while he's chained to this dude, man. You want to discourage me? Go ahead. Put it on. Pour it on, man. Pour it on. This is what God's going to do through me. I'm not boasting about what I did. It's God's grace that allowed me to do it. But I'm going to write four letters in the, in the New Testament that people are going to read 2,000 years from now to be encouraged. Isn't that cool? Yeah. And so let's, let's do that. Let's embrace Paul's mindset. Number two, embrace the confidence of your joy. Verse 19 uh, for I know, Paul says, I know. That's an interesting statement. I know. There's a hymn. I know in whom I have. Somebody help me out here. I'm walking on a. What? Yes, wherever that is. I know in whom I have. Uh, I, I know who I believe. Let's look that up after church. It's good, too. I know in whom I have believed. He's able to. It's slowly coming back, but it might be tomorrow before it all comes back. <laughs> Embrace the confidence of your joy. Um, Paul is realizing, you know, I've been, I've been chained. I'm going to be chained, you know, to this praetorium guard. Uh, and he says, um, something's going to lead to my deliverance. And that word, no, for I know, you want to circle that word. That word, no, means absolute conviction. That's putting a stake in the ground based on experience or seeing something. Paul is saying, for I know, I know, I know. 
And Paul's confidence, when you break this verse 19 down, it's coming from two sources. One, it's, it's a human source. Um, and the second one is a divine source. For, for I know that as you pray for me. Now, you, Paul could say, man, you know, I've been, I've been chained to this guy. And you have to know that I have been praying because I need, I need God's grace to, to keep my joy, you know, when I'm chained to this guy all the time. You know, some of these guards are ticked off at me because they don't like being chained to me. We know Paul prayed and Paul could write that. And that's cool. It's cool to pray. But that's not what Paul writes. He says, for I know that as you pray for me. As you pray for me. Paul understands the value of people praying for him. Did you catch Tony last Sunday? Pray. You know, pray for him, pray for Mexico. Why do you do that? Because he, like Paul, understands the value of people praying for him in their ministry. Paul could have just stopped, you know, I pray, and I, I think that's cool, but he goes deeper than that. He, he recognizes the value uh, of people praying for him. Though he prays, it doesn't negate the necessity of other people praying for him. Something, something profound happens when people pray for you and for me. Something powerful. Something in, something in the unseen happens. Now, maybe we don't even see at the time, but we know that God is working through people's prayers. Notice in the Lord's Prayer, it doesn't say, when Jesus said you pray, he doesn't say my Father, he says our Father. You get that? Our Father? Why? Because we're part of that family, you know, the family. It's a community coming together, calling on God's great name. It's me calling on God for you and for you calling on God for me. Isn't that cool? The privilege that we have. We need to pray one for another. James 5.16, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. 2 Timothy 2.1, I urge you, first of all, to pray for all people. When we put our faith in Jesus Christ, it's no longer me, it's we. 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 It's us. It's us's and we's <laughs> coming together, right? We're, we're part of that family, that community. Paul's praying, you know, he's saying, and we're praying, you're praying, and I'm so... I'm going to be delivered. You're praying, and I'm so encouraged. And how cool is it when we know people are praying for us? And I had a conversation with somebody recently about, you know, how Christians are so quick to say, well, I'll pray for you. And that's cool. But how many of us know, man, life gets busy, and we may forget but what's cool is when you're with that person, say, let's pray right now. Let's pray right now. 
That's good. I was thinking about growing up. Uh, I always had a sense that somebody was praying for me. I don't know who. My, my parents, even though they were Christians, they, you know, they, it, they weren't verbal about what they did. I saw it in their actions, which was powerful, of course, but I had a praying grandmother. I had a praying grandfather. I'm sure I had praying parents, but somebody, I, there was like God's hand was on my shoulder. I could sense that. And listen, I, I wasn't perfect along the way, but I can tell you something that kept me, you know, from going off the deep end. And that's why it's so important that we pray one for another. That God has his hand on your shoulder. He's guiding you. He's rejoicing in every detail of your life. He's so pumped about your life. And so we need to say yes, Lord. But so here's another thing. Jesus is praying for you. Oh, boy. Jesus is praying for you. So we pray one for another, and Jesus is praying for you. Romans 8, 34, who then will condemn us? No one, for Christ Jesus died for us and was raised to life for us, and he is sitting in the place of honor at God's right hand, pleading, which means praying, for us. He's praying for us. Now, you may be here today and you say, you know what, God, he's praying for everybody else but me. No, he's not. He's praying for you. Us is plural. Again, there's no PS at the bottom, you know, for people, you know, that are into this or into that. No, he's praying for us. Jesus is praying for you. And how cool it is when we know people are praying for us. And an example of that is in Luke twenty-two thirty-two, when Peter, you know, he, he thinks he's so spiritual that he will not deny Christ and, and Jesus says, but I have pleaded for you, Peter, in prayer that your faith should not fail. What would that do for you? If Jesus sent you a text today, and he says, I've been praying for you today that your faith will not fail. What would that do for you? Huh? Oh! Jesus is praying for me. Jesus who knows seven and a half billion people's thoughts at the same time. He's not overwhelmed. He's not short-circuiting. He is praying for you and me. Isn't that cool? Because he loves you. Because he loves you. That's why. That's why. And so tonight at Awaken, we'll have that opportunity to pray one for another. You know? Uh, so for those of you that don't come out to Awaken, at the tail end of Awaken, we usually break in small groups and pray one for another. And that's pretty cool. 
I have the opportunity to pray for someone and someone prays for me. On Wednesday night, people are praying for me at the Wednesday prayer meeting. Very encouraging. And so, so we need to take full advantage of praying one for another. And um, so Paul says the Philippian church, it's been 10 years since he was there planning that church. They're still praying for him. Isn't that cool? Word had come to Paul that that church was continuing to pray for him. But that's not the end of it. Paul also depended on, it says, the spirit of Jesus Christ helps me. That's, this will lead to my deliverance. The spirit of Jesus Christ refers to the Holy Spirit who makes Christ's presence real in followers of Jesus. Romans 8, 11. Check this out. The spirit of God who raised Jesus from the dead lives in you. Lives in you. And just as God raised Christ Jesus from the dead, he will give life to your mortal bodies by this same spirit living within you. Isn't that great news? The spirit of God who raised Jesus from the dead lives in you. That, that should just cause the overflow joy meter to explode, man. The spirit of the living God that raised Jesus from the grave. He was in there three days and three nights, man. That power is resident inside of you and me. Oh, boy. That word helps. The spirit of Jesus Christ helps me. Notice it doesn't say it hurts me. It cripples me. No, it helps me. In other words, he'll supply everything we need. Ephesians 3.16, I pray that from his glorious unlimited resources, he will empower you with inner strength through his spirit. Very good. It's very good. And so Paul's saying the prayers of the church, that's one. The second, the support of the Holy Spirit. Paul realized even though he was chained to this guard, he could sense the presence of God's spirit living inside of him. And that ultimately he would be delivered. And that's great news. Number three, joy no matter what, living or dying. It kind of goes to Reggie Campbell, joy no matter what, uh, living or dying, verse 20. Uh, for I fully expect and hope that I will never be ashamed, but that I will continue to be bold for Christ as I have been in the past. And I trust that my life will bring honor to Christ, whether I live or die. You kind of get the picture that Paul has a white board <laughs> in under house arrest that he's writing um, his goals on how he's going to finish. Look at that, for I fully expect and hope. Paul is basically saying, I, I can't wait to watch how God's going to answer this. You know, The Philippian church has been praying for me. God's spirit is living inside of me. He's going to deliver me. I can hardly wait. I can hardly contain the joy 
Paul is saying once you decide your life won't last forever, you're free to invest it in a greater cause than yourself, you know? Just think about those folks that don't have faith in Jesus Christ. They think when they die, it's all over. It's the end, you know? How empty, how void of joy. But because we know, <laughs> Paul realized that when he died, he wasn't going to be landing in a cemetery. He was going to be landing into the very presence of God, the sanctuary yes. in heaven. That's what kept him going whether I live or die. Jim Elliott, some of you may have heard of him, wrote in his journal, he is no fool who gives up what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. September 1955, five young men were attempting to bring the gospel to the Aka Indians in Ecuador. They were dropping gifts from a small plane to try and win favor with that particular tribe, and then on January 8th, 1956, all five were speared to death. And when Jim Elliott, his journals were found, they published that sentence, he is no fool who gives up what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. That's where Paul landed. That's where Jim Elliott landed. In other words, let's, let's live our lives for a, a cause bigger than ourselves. Fully expect uh, its uh, intense form of the word hope. And when we think of hope in the English language, you know, it, we, it, it, it's deeper than that. It, so, you know, hope in the English language is I hope the Badgers will win their next basketball game. You know, I hope. <laughs> I hope. Or... Keep those fingers crossed. Let's hope it won't snow again in March. Right? Hope. Paul is saying, man, that, that, that's so shallow. The, the hope I'm talking about is I know hope, you know? Mm, it's brim, you know, it brims with certainty based on God being God and that God is in control. Fully expect literally means to watch something without stretched head. And so in that culture, what that means is fully expect... Uh, if people were standing on the wall of their city and an army or a group of emissaries were, were coming, uh, the people would stand with, and stretch their heads. Jim, do you see who's over there? No, Joe, I don't. I don't see anybody over there. Stretch your head a little more. They're stretching their head to see. That's what that word fully expect means. You can take it in baseball, you know, being at a, at a professional baseball game and somebody hits a ball hard and it, it looks like it's going to be a home run and you, what do you do? You stretch your head and somebody catches it on the warning track. <gasps> but you stretch your head, you get the imagery. Well, that happened to my family years ago. We were in St. Louis. We had gone down to Arkansas visiting my grandmother and on our way back, we stopped in St. Louis, and St. Louis mm, Cardinals were playing the New York Mets. And at the time, Daryl Strawberry was on the New York Mets. And so we were up somewhere in the bleachers. And when, when Daryl came up, I, I told our kids, I said, he's going to hit a home run. 
Second pitch, boom, out of the park. We stretched our heads. Oh, it's a home run. It's a home run. You stretch your heads. That's the imagery, you know, that Paul's saying, I fully expect. So, I just happen to have a Daryl Strawberry new book here. And I want to give it away. So, the first person with the right answer, what's Daryl's middle name? Nobody knows Daryl's middle name? <laughs> okay. Um, <clears throat> um, what position did Daryl play? It's got to be a little more specific on it. That's getting messy now, man. Got to get a little messy. Um, how many times was he voted to the all-star team? Eight. Who said that? Hey, can you get, run that back to Jeff? Run that back to Jeff Parrish. Jeff Parrish, right back there. Good job. All right. We got that out of the way. It's a great book, man. And, and so Greg Laurie writes the, uh, he writes the, um, the foreword in the book. Greg Laurie is a pastor out in California, does big crusades um, in California. And he met Daryl. He said Daryl was an eight-time All-Star, four-time World Series champion, two-time Silver Slugger Award, 1983 National League Rookie of the Year, um, but what many don't realize is that Daryl was a broken man. I didn't know this when we saw him play in St. Louis. He was broken before he even started playing baseball. Underneath the swagger, success were a pain and a spiritual emptiness that fame, fortune, women, drugs, and the love of the game could never satiate. Daryl told me, my pain led me to my greatness but my greatness would eventually lead me to my destructive behavior. It was his destructive behavior that brought him to rock bottom and finally led him to the healing and salvation found in a relationship with Jesus Christ. I first met Daryl Strawberry at a meeting for evangelical leaders. Daryl made his way to the mic and I immediately struck, I was struck by his boldness, his love for Jesus, his down-to-earth humanity. Kind of reminds me of Paul, doesn't it? Again, I was impressed that no matter what the question Daryl took, he, he always brought a, the answer back to Scripture, used his life experience to point to God and give him glory. His love for Jesus is contagious. His boldness is amazing. And with humility and candor, Daryl confesses, I was a heathen. I was a liar. I was a womanizer. I was a cheater. I was an alcoholic. I was a drug addict. But I was a sinner saved by grace. Now, you might say, that's too much for God to do. No, 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 no. God's grace is sufficient. No matter who you are, he still has grace for you. No matter how far you go down, he still has a perfect plan for you.
How is that with you, friend? Paul says, I fully expect I'm, I'm watching with an outstretched head, even though I'm chained to a Roman guard. I fully expect. We talk about faith. Reggie Campbell, I'm going to finish strong no matter what. My faith is strong. My confidence is strong that, that my God is faithful no matter what. And today I just want to encourage you as we look at Paul's life. And you might be here and you can say, man, that Daryl Strawberry, that, that's me. Man, that's where I'm at. I can relate to that. It's not too late to put your faith in Jesus Christ. And having the joy of whether living or dying, when you put your faith in Christ, you know where you're going. It's settled, man. Your name is in the book of life. That gives you confidence to live for God's honor. Father, thank you this morning for the privilege we have to have a relationship with you. And we know how fired up Paul was, Lord, even though he was chained to a guard 24-7, he was fired up because the good news, the gospel of Jesus Christ was being spread throughout Rome. God, help us to look at life with eternal eyes like that. It, yeah, there's, there's life can, can make things challenging for us, but this is all temporary, Lord. We realize that our home in heaven is permanent. And we thank you for the love that you have for every human being, the love that you had for Daryl Strawberry, the love that you have for each one of us, Lord. May we look at Paul's example on how we can live intentionally, not only today, but for the rest of our lives. Whether living or dying, I'm going to live for the honor of Jesus Christ. You might be here today and you don't have a relationship with Christ and and before we close out, we just want to give you that opportunity, man, to say, Jesus, you died for me. You took my place on the cross to pay for my sin debt in full. I, I can't earn my way in. I can't be good enough. I can't pay my way in. I can't. Lord, you paid it all. And I know that. I know that now. And so I put my trust in you. Jesus, you will forgive me because you love me. And I'm inviting you into my life to lead me, to direct me in everything that I do for the rest of my life by God's spirit empowering me. Thank you, Lord, for saving me. Move in, Lord. Move in. The doors are open, Lord. Move in. Make yourself at home in my life today. In Jesus' name, amen.